Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to be informed of special events and offerings. And for being a beloved listener today, I want to offer to you, just for the month of February, 20% off my transformational online program, The Alchemy of Overflow, How to Partner with God. This seven-day reset has already helped hundreds of people accelerate their lives and get going with living their most expanded self. This program is my heart, and it is designed for you to heal whatever needs healing. To learn more, you can go to www.alchemyofmastery.com forward slash programs forward slash alchemy hyphen of hyphen overflow. And you can use discount code spiritual geek out, all one word. And let me know how it's going for you. I just love hearing how this program has made a difference in so many of your lives. Okay, so let's get to today's guest. She is one of my favorite humans, Ani Williams. She's back on the show today to discuss her long awaited book, Guardians of the Dragon Path ancient temples of the Pyrenees, the way of the star's Camino, a Magdalena Meridian. This work is a culmination of 18 years of her walking the land surrounding the Pyrenees, extensive scholarly research she's done, and a series of uncanny dreams that guided her quest of unbelievable discovery. It is a shining example that truth is indeed stranger than fiction. It is the first in a trilogy, and in my opinion, it is a tour de force. In our talk today, Ani shares many of these fascinating uncoverings, where she was guided along ancient energetic grids, these prehistoric pilgrimage pathways that correlate with the Paris Meridian, and how many ancient dolmens, churches, temples, and holy sites, they were all built along these grids. Interesting, right? We unpack jaw-dropping discoveries she made along her travels, an ancient pathway that forms a massive landscape across over 80 miles long. What defines this path and its intersection is going to astonish you. We talk about how the Pyrenees region serves as an interdimensional doorway of sorts and just why that is the mythical and spiritual nature of dragons. No, not as some dark force, as some may consider, but as guardians of knowledge and overseers of this planet, as she humbly offers. The seven keys of heaven. We take a deeper look at the role of Magdalena and considerations around the nature of the Holy Grail. And just so much more that will undoubtedly open your eyes and spiritual ears to really grasp what is possible here as we attune ever more to our own divine nature. And just like the interconnectedness that was demonstrated by these ancient civilizations who knew a thing or two on how to mirror the heavens and invoke the celestial energy here on earth, it's all still here for us now. 
if we are willing to seek it out and be the custodians of it. So as always, I hope that this episode and every episode serves you in some way to expand, to perceive ever more spiritually, and to do differently in the direction of your own evolution and in service to the ascension of humanity. Enjoy and pass it along to someone else who could use it. After reading your book with my 40 pages of notes sprawled on my kitchen table, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin because you, seriously, your book is such an education and an illuminating sojourn into the history of the Pyrenees, the mysteries of these ancient temples, monuments, dolmens, the alignment of alignments that are way beyond coincidence. There is so much magic that it literally, you have to take breaks and lie down and just kind of stare at the ceiling fan. <laughs> so that's where I start with our talk today. <laughs> Love it. You can imagine <laughs> what it felt like at the end of writing and editing this. I just wanted to stare at the ceiling or the sky, you know? <laughs> uh, absolutely. The the infinitude of infinitudes that just lie before you of all the possibilities of in creation and how just everything is just that so magically perfectly lined up as you discovered in your quest. Let's start, Ani, if we can, perhaps just starting to break this open. <laughs> In your quest across the Pyrenees, you discovered so many, so many magical moments, clues, remnants of not only a belief in dragons, but also this nature of this idea of myth. And I want to start off by reading a quote from your book on myth, because your title of your book is The Dragon Path. And dependent on our conditioning and our background, some people, as you write so eloquently, will consider the dragons to be of the devil, demons of the negative, like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you make a very clear distinction that dragons from your perspective, are actually, and as your book denotes, guardians of the planet and of humanity. So I think I'd like to start off there and mention, as you say in your book, how myths are not necessarily one of evolution. They suggest one of de-evolution. And then hand it off to you on how these dragons are just that guardians of humanity well what a what a great start and question <laughs> um what comes to mind immediately is that at one time on our planet things were not fragmented for ancient people they had a cosmology of unity of oneness that all aspects of life were connected. 
And they recognize these connections between the earth, nature, spirit, the invisible. So yes. both visible and the invisible realms. They were more sensitively attuned to the inaudible and the invisible realms. They had to be in order to survive. They had to work with the natural order. So the cosmos, the movements of the planets and stars, it was more of a matter of survival because if you didn't calculate your navigation with your tribe and your herd, you you wouldn't make it. So yeah. you know, all the natural order of things was a a whole complete system that was no different from them. And you know, on the on the idea of serpents and dragons, it's actually according to and you know this, the the ancient Vedic Taoist traditions, right. the Chinese, the Tibetan, the Vedic, etc. They all saw the dragon and uh, the serpent more as a guardian of sacred energy, of treasure. And that treasure was consciousness. It was awakening. It was the seed pearl of awareness. And it was the movement within our own bodies and the rivers of energy, the naughty currents of, of, of invisible sound, as well as the the... Uh, meridians within yes and and so they saw it all interconnected you know the movements of 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 the natural rivers on the earth and the and the currents of energy they experienced them in their bodies they were more sensitive they were attuned to the natural cycles and the more we separate ourselves into these virtual realities yes we cut ourselves off from that flow and that knowing. You have a great quote in your book from the prophetess Miriam that, to your point, I thought I'd throw in here because I wrote it down for whatever reason. It, I thought, boy, I'd love to know. I'd love to refer to this in some future time when I need it. And the quote is, if you do not render corporal substances incorporeal and incorporeal substances corporal and if the two are not made one nothing will be achieved i just love that quote because it's so true so so to describe that corporal is is the, the embodied you know presence the physical the corporal is the physical body the physical experience and the incorporeal, say you could say it is spirit. Yes. And if they're not made as one, nothing happens. And that was the great alchemist, uh, uh, Maria, the, the, I think she was the Jewish alchemist, one of the greatest. Miriam. Miriam. Yeah. Miriam. Yes. And, um, so Mary and Miriam, that, the Miriam was like the, I think the Hebrew way of saying Mary. But, ah, uh, okay. But she was one of the greatest alchemists of her time. And and others followed in her footsteps because she, you know, I think she was the one that started, uh, oh, she started something in alchemy. It was either using salt or a particular heating vessel or something. But anyway, she was a, a fantastic, uh, insightful woman. And you know who else was practicing alchemy and teaching it? 
One of the Cleopatras. Oh, no, of course. I mean, shocking, but not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, she was brilliant. Well, I, I can't remember which because there were many Cleopatras, but one of them was teaching alchemy and, and just brilliant. I mean, spoke many languages. You know, we have this romantic idea of the great queen pharaohs, but actually they had to be really brilliant to be in that position. You know, they weren't just beautiful women. They were powerful. They knew politics. They knew the arts, they knew how to work with, you know, different levels of existence. So, yeah. And to much of your credit, as you mentioned in your book and in your personal direct experience, as you write about these women like yourself could perceive spiritually. Mm. And as I read your book, it's so astounding and beautifully for me personally reinforcing again not to reiterate too much here but I think it's really worthy of note how connected we actually are to the unseen realm and that this world is a dress rehearsal for the spiritual realm so and and your journey is so exemplary of that because you are literally through your dreams, through the quote unquote coincidences, you are literally being led to this ancient grid of a cross on a land that you're discovering in real time. Can you talk about this astounding discovery? Probably, Ani, I think this is probably gonna be in the history books. I pray it will be because it's astounding. Well, I'm I'm pretty amazed myself about the whole thing. I mean, when I do something, I never know if anybody's going to even read it or like it. That's the way I always was with my music when I started in 1981. I'm just going to do this music because I feel it and I love it. And I was blown away that, you know, it took off. And it's the same with this. And the whole journey, the quest for me was guided by dreams. So the whole idea of this this landscape cross that it was revealed to me. I I can't say I really discovered it because it was, it was already there. It was revealed. And I was guided from the beginning by my dreams and Mm. messages in my dreams that were very, very clear. And, you know, the first one that was of note in, in relationship to the book was you need to light four fires in the Pyrenees region because through lighting the fires, you will make discoveries. After that, it was dream after dream after dream. And then the epic Star Wars dream where I I saw this placing of an energetic cross in the landscape, maybe hundreds of thousands of years ago by a galactic family who were working in concert in perfect unity together. There was no ego. There was no male, female. It was just, we are a team. We are here to do this work to benefit future humanity, future civilizations. And, uh, you know, I mean, I used to think I might be crazy or, you know, just too odd for this world. (laughs) And I finally came out of the box with this, um, 
<laughs> or out of the closet with this book because they, you know, uh, my the the grandfather of my uh, granddaughter from the other side of the family. Uh, she said, Grandpa, he's he's a real born-again Christian. He was a priest, et cetera. And she said, Grandpa, you got to read Nana's book. And he looked at her and he said, dragons? Because he knew I played music. He says, do dragons make music now? <laughs> Just up. And I thought, well, you got it. You know, they love music, actually. <laughs> When I'm reading your book and you're talking about the the nature of these dragons, these experiences that you're having, these supernatural spiritual experiences you're having in the Pyrenees <clears throat> with particular dragons where this one says, you know, I live under the earth. I come up as I need to for the sun, for the stars, for humanity. I think of one of my favorite places on planet earth which is Kauai and oh. yes, and the Nepali coast, which to me is unquestionably, unquestionably a vortex. And it was like the first time I visited it, I knew I was home. And what is guarding, for lack of a better word, the entrance to the Nepali coast, the sacred land, the land of the moo is puff the magic dragon which you can see shaped as a dragon in the terroir there at the um cove yeah and it just brought me back and i go oh these grids these spiritual imprints are all over planet earth and when i go to the nepali coast I see them, and as I'm sure many people do, these gods, if you will, deities, images of faces, like mm -hmm. Stonehenge in the, what right. is it, Galactites, stalagmites, these mountainous re uh, formations. Yeah. They're living, they're pulsating, yeah. they're alive, yeah. they're talking to you. Yeah. You know, you're bringing up a really uh, important point because when you're talking, I'm thinking of the the way that people used to look at nature with more of an imaginal awareness. The imaginal realm can be seen as one that is like a bridge between the dimensions. Yes. And the author and mystic Cynthia Bourgeault says she wrote a wonderful several books, but one on Mary Magdalene. And she says that the imaginal realm is accessible just by expanding our bandwidth with. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it really applies to the sound work that we both do as well. Expanding our frequency perception um, expanding our ability to perceive. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure we've both had, you know, these experiences where we see colors and images that are like phantoms almost. Like, are they really there? Are we, you know, like the, 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 the tradition of white ladies in the Pyrenees. And they, they appear as like white 
plasma forms to a lot of people, or they can even take on distinctive forms. But these ideas of, of, of spiritual realms that are, that are visible and in the landscape, you know, in that imaginal state that ancient people had naturally, of course that mountain looks like a dragon or the ancestor from their uh, tribe or the, you know, their guardians. It's, it's all an imaginal realm and it's magical. Yeah. As you talk about sound, you mention in your book something that I was not aware of. It was just fascinating. I'd love you to unpack the seven creation sounds that were voiced by the seven dragon deities, but how they correlate to Jesus's teachings with the um, keys to heaven. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that is fascinating. Uh, so I've always been attracted to these ideas of um, different views of deities coming to create matter through the vibration. And of course, we go back to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the vibration. And it wasn't just the word, but it was a frequency of yes. an intention. And I, I, I was really impressed by finding this tradition in many different uh, parts of the world, like from Tibet, the, the seven Buddhas, the Dizani or the Dhyani Buddhas, mm -hmm. the seven vowels of creation. And then I found it in Egypt uh, with the seven cobras hissing the, the seven sounds and that that the archaeologists that I talked to said that they related to the human energy centers. This idea of uh, then, of course, as you mentioned, Yeshua, Jesus, bringing forth these teachings. And it's recorded in one of the Nag Hammadi texts called the Pistis Sophia in Book 5. <clears throat> and there are many different translations, but... Uh, oh, what's the one I have? I can't remember. But uh, he he talks about, he, he's teaching the disciples. And it's Mary Magdalene that has the most input and intelligent feedback in the whole document, which is interesting. Yeah. But it, in this one particular section, he's teaching the disciples what he called the treasury of light in which he gives a succession of, of vowels in particular orders, ia-o, ia-uo, ia-o, oia, oi, you know, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And he says that these each syllable of the vowel has a particular frequency and creates a specific um portion of matter and he said it wove a garment of light for them and so I've used this in my trainings uh, on sound medicine to demonstrate you know that these traditions and I'm I'm assuming that through his travels to Egypt I mean yes. he's a little boy that was you know taken as a baby into Egypt and he we don't know how many years he spent there but he has a lot of missing years in his documented life and That's so right. 
my sense is he went back to that place where he was young because those places draw us back. And needless to say, the great teachers that were there in the temples. And also, I feel very strongly that he went to the Himalayas and studied with the great masters there. They have the same exact traditions. 100%. So all of these strands coming together, I'm I'm kind of a pattern gatherer and a yeah. piece you know, together. So I, I, I love it when we find the same traditions in many different places. Me too. It's so, um, it's, it's, I don't know if this is the right word, but it feels reassuring that everything is just perfectly placed. And some people need to get that truth through a particular tradition or a particular way. Some people right. need to get it through the Bible. Some people need to get it through the Vedas. Some people need to get it through, you know, uh, African-American chant, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the energetic nature of why the Pyrenees are so special. The mm. magnetic anomalies, how they precipitate altered states of consciousness, and even affect, as many may be aware, certain instrumentation and in aircrafts like the Bermuda Triangle, perhaps. A few questions I want to kind of unravel here. How is it a portal? And have you ever experienced any of these sort of gravitational reversals of any kind being there? Have I levitated? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Not in your waking state. Certainly, I've gone into altered state and gotten messages and received a lot of music and a lot of information at these places. So in that way, they're a, a dimensional doorway. And yeah. um, I, from my understanding, this unusual mag electromagnetic field and gravitational uh, sort of effects that are in the Pyrenees uh, happened because of the two plates, the, the European plate and the Iberian plates, millions of years ago, came together and pushed up and created the mountains. And so the break, they're still moving, mm. those plates, uh, you know, a few millimeters maybe or centimeters a, a year but they're still alive and that those spaces where the fault line runs there's an access to the magma fields in the earth and the energy the you know this powerful fiery electromagnetic energy that rises up in certain portions of the Pyrenees and uh, depending on how uh close the magma is to the surface. And of course, we have a lot of thermal springs in the area, healing spas too, uh, that, you know, benefit from that. Um, there's one story about levitation, though, and there are two, two aspects to this anti-gravitation thing. Um, one of them I mention in the book is, is the great saint, uh, Teresa. Teresa of Avila. Mm -hmm. And she would go to the Pyrenees and she had this propensity to levitate anyway, because she was so ecstatic in her yes. love of the tradition of Jesus, of, of the whole mystic tradition. And um, 
she would levitate, but especially when, when she went to the Pyrenees, this one documented uh, thing where she just lifted off the earth and was witnessed by many priests and nuns and so forth. And I found that really fascinating because she, I mean, she was so dedicated and focused. She was probably much more uh, movable, pliable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but there were a, a few reports as well of airlines and, you know, and, and private airlines as well and airplanes losing their navigation over some of these mountains and they would just, they would stop working. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's kind of fantastic, but for me, the, the most important thing is what the ancient traditions left for us there and how we yeah. can incorporate those things into our lives now to help humanity and save our beloved planet. And I think that was one of the main messages that, that I've received from the dragon encounters, from encounters with ancient beings, that it's, it's really essential that we come into that natural harmony again mm -hmm. and start listening. Because we're not just here, humanity, separate. You know, we have the angelic realms yeah. that are here to help us. Dragons have... I think many different functions on this planet. Some yeah. are guardians of sights. Some are guardians of knowledge. Some are uh, overseers of the elements. Yes, and, you know, according to the Pyrenean uh, beliefs, beliefs, especially with the Basque people, the the dragons control the weather. Mm hmm. Which interesting. is interesting because we have find the same belief with the Hopi people of the American Southwest. They see the dragons or serpents, they're interchangeable, mm -hmm. um, as guardians of their springs. Fascinating. Well, I think also of dragons, this is just where my brain's going. When we think of the teachings of Christ, of these sacred scriptures, of yoga, there is a lot of talk of fire. And fire is not, or the holy fire. And fire can be looked at as something that burns and destroys. But of course, in puja, right, arti, sacred arti, it's one that purifies and that dragons could be the symbology or representation for the purification of what is needing to be purified, to be moved out of the way. Yeah. And they can be related to water or fire or any of the elements. I think um, the, well, when you mention the, the double activity of fire to destroy or purify, it's the same with sound, as you know. We right. use sound to create and to harmonize a field, to create a, a greater uh, energy field, or we can use it to destroy or clear or clean. You know, it can build or release, erase both. Right. 
Well, I'd love to segue a little bit into this other one of endless fascinations in your book, truly. This correlation between the Paris Meridian and the Mm. Dragon Path. If Mm. you can go into that a bit, and I might add to support that whole package, (laughs) that when you went to the Paris Observatory, to the Cassini Room, and your guide, who was this retired, I believe, astrophysicist, said something very powerful to you. And he said, the country knowing longitude rules the world. And if you could go into that as well, as it relates to these lining up of coincidences, the Paris Meridian, what its significance is in the Dragon Path. So firstly, um, he, he was an astrophysicist, uh, I think the head of exoplanet research, and still is. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was really like an unbelievable thing to <laughs> zero in on him. He was the only kind of official guy that walked into the, the, the office because I wasn't allowed to go into the observatory because it was a year after the Paris massacre. So everything was shut down. And I, I approached this guy. I had no idea who he was, but he was like the head exoplanet astrophysicist. So anyway, going into the, the, the Paris Meridian and its importance and what he said, I pondered that because, of course, if you know longitude, you can navigate on land and on sea. You can become an imperialist country. You can conquer. You you rule trade, basically. Mm-hmm. And when you can travel and you know where you're going, you know, with, with your longitude uh, and your compass, you you have a a conscious direction and I applied it to myself. If we have our own inner compass rose and we know where the sun rises, where North is, where South is, we know where we are within this whole matrix of the natural world, both on the, in heaven and on earth. So that inner compass is so important. And we know that in meditation and any kind of yoga practices, knowing your core, you know, and Qigong, knowing where your center is, then we can navigate our world. Or if our mind is centered, our heart is centered, then, then, then we can move with greater potentiality. And so knowing longitude is applicable in a personal level, and that's where I wanted to bring it to, because I don't think we need to conquer nations anymore, you know, and and so <laughs> get things on all different levels. But they, what I realized uh, through my, my questing across the Pyrenees is that the Paris Meridian uh, was a dragon line actually of energy because so many ancient megalithic sites were established on it, as well as later medieval Templar and Magdalene 
uh, sanctuaries and churches. Boom, 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 boom. Right down the line. All the way to Isla Dragonera. Fascinating. Isla Dragonera is the southernmost end of the measured Paris meridian. It's on my it's off the coast of Mallorca. So we have the Paris meridian was before Greenwich, which we're using now for our GPS systems. So if we go from Dunkirk, at the it, I didn't bring my map to show, but just going straight down the two degrees 20 now, but it used to be zero meridian, right through Paris, near Bourges, right through near where I live, Mount Bougarache, et cetera, over the Pyrenees, near Mount Canigou, all the way to a place called Isla Dragonera, which means the Isle of the Female Dragon, or Dragonera is actually lizards. But if we can get beyond the idea, people, you know, the popular idea of the lizard people, you know, being the bad guys, I don't know about that. It's all this channeled stuff. But how I look at it is they named it for the lizards that live on the island, quite literally. And, and the relationship, you know, they're being little dragons. So the whole yeah. meridian ends in the female because it's La Dragonera, the oh. feminine. Right. Hence, and the whole Paris Meridian, dotted with all of these ancient sites, lands in the female dragon's lair in the in the Mediterranean, which I call Aphrodite's pond. It's her bathtub, you know. So this I I like looking at things in kind of a a mythical way. Yeah. That gives a more magical view and maybe a more ancient view of how people might have seen these places. I feel like you're, forgive the comparison because it's not really a comparison, but you to me are like, like a female Greg Braden. You're decoding, (laughs) decoding things that other people wouldn't necessarily have the uh, perception or just the soul curriculum to handle and address and be led to because you know even the story of your medallion with the the uh, five letters on it and how that led you how it was really a a part of the decoding of your discoveries is right, right, right. I should describe that because people will have no idea what we're talking about. So, right. so go, going back to Greg, I love Greg. He's a brother. Uh, we're friends. He's a lovely guy. We, in the old days, we used to do conferences in Seattle and stuff before he got really famous. In fact, yeah. he would set up my, my sound equipment for me when I was doing my harp stuff. And uh, so we're, we're like a tribe, you know, it's like a, a, a big family. And um and that medallion that you speak of, it was a, a protection medallion uh, amulet, if you call it, um, of St. Benedict. And the rule of St. Benedict and then the Benedictines were very, very important in this whole region because they had the very best libraries and scriptoriums and collections of ancient knowledge. So 
the medallion was shining. It was like a, a mirror projecting at me in this little tiny shop in Coyoacan, Mexico. I was doing a concert tour and I was with my sponsors and this thing was radiating at me. It was just a little thing. But the sun was setting, it was shining on this silver medallion and I was like, there was magic about it. And I said, what is this magical symbol thing? And they bought it for me because they saw my enchantment and put it on me. And I, I looked up the letters, uh, which basically mean in Latin, let not the dragon be my guide. And I went, no. I mean, this was a long time ago, many decades ago, but I said, no, I love dragons. I'd been dreaming about riding a dragon and I had all these memories about a time, you know, another, I said, no, I love the dragons. So I, I, I got rid of the known, which is no. And then that, that started the dreams about the Pyrenees and lighting fires and finding the, the lines and alignments and, and then the other side of the medallion, doesn't it have a prayer that was significant as well? Yeah, it, it you know, it, the, the light of the cross will guide me or something to that effect. And, you know, there were several messages in the medallion that really spoke to me. And uh, that was way before I discovered the importance of the equal arm cross in all the ancient traditions and long before I realized that there was this giant alignment. It, the, 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 the landscape cross we're talking about is about 88 to 90 miles with each axis. So it, it's huge. And, yeah. and imagine the Pyrenees are right in the middle there like that. Now, what's really interesting is that east-west arm of the Great Cross also aligns with several other ancient routes. It, it wasn't just finding a random cross that aligned with the Paris Meridian. It was discovering that this east-west axis was also part of the ancient pilgrimage path called the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. Fascinating. And then I discovered 6,000 years ago, it was another Camino called the Way of the Stars, I'm glad you're mentioning that because uh, that is just unbelievable. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's so it's it's so wild that I think if if you read the stories, it starts to make sense because just talking about it like this, people think these girls are crazy. Right. But right. I'm actually, quoting ancient historians and astronomers. Yes. And you know, and, and, and a lot of scientific things that are backing up yes. what was covered. And oh, I think 100%. Because bridging the, the science with the, with the, with the myth and, the, and, and, and all of the discoveries, it puts it together so that it's believable. And so it makes, it actually makes sense. And, and to your point, that's just it. When I'm reading your book, I, it's like it's forming this tapestry of, of truths that have been laid out since prehistoric times that you're literally discovering in real time and being guided to supernaturally, spiritually, but then it's being shown to you in the physical. Well, and, and 
Yeah, and I, I really want to say something uh, on, on that, and that is that th this is nothing special that yeah. everyone has this capacity. So really, I'm writing this so that people remember that, well, if they trust their dreams, mm. you know, and trust their visions, and actually believe that they're possible, mm -hmm. and Visions and dreams that bring benefit. I'm not talking about any old nightmare, but I'm talking about the visions and dreams that 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 bring life energy and well-being to everyone and everything. And to follow those up and to have and and this is one of the biggest things, having confidence in what we receive. And it took me a long time to have that confidence. And it's still growing because. I used to get all kinds of visions and I thought, oh no, this is really weird. I don't want anybody to know about this, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's really time to let that visionary world, that magical world have its reign because we need it. Yeah. We need it to feel alive. Absolutely. I, you know, when I mentor healers that are trying to refine their healership, I often will stress that, you know, there's more spirits than there are men, women, people on the planet. Yeah. So just as a consideration, allow yourself to open up to this idea that you are literally seeing by the physical, like 1%. And if we look at any of these sacred texts, cross-culturally, biblically, there's more teachings on how to open up to spiritual perception. Yeah. Abraham being able to see the three men, but seeing one as God and bowing to him because he could perceive spiritually the God in him, that one man, not the other two. How is that? Because he had the ability to perceive beyond appearances, or as they say in the Vedas, Maya, he could see beyond illusion. And yeah. to your point, you're being guided to see beyond what is assumed to be just what is. It's, it's not. There's more going on than what our physical eyes can see. I had a really funny, no, not funny at all. It was very serious a strange experience when I finished the book and I was awakened one night and there was this huge white glow in the room. And I've been present at the death of people and seen this portal opening above them. And then all of a sudden I felt the presence of my mother and my grandfather and a few others that are on the other side and my brother. Yeah. The three of them. And I thought, okay, guys, I'm not ready to go right now. You know, if you're here to take me, I'm not done. I have more books to write, more music to make, more adventures. <laughs> and then, and, and I was looking at the, and there was this white glow still, at, you know, above my bed. And finally, I realized, no, we're not here to take you away. We're here to say, congratulations, well done. This my my grandfather was a great philosopher, and I always really looked up to him as the the smartest guy in the world, right? Mm. 
And for him to come and my mother, who was pretty tough, to say thank you, you know, well done, it, it meant the world. I can only imagine. That makes me think of an experience I had with my father many years ago. And uh, a year after his death, my cousin was getting married and the church only had one opening out of the entire year, which was the anniversary of my father's death. And so his brother, this is his brother's son that was getting married, my father's brother's son. And he was kind of trying to decide if that was appropriate because of the day. And he thought, no, this is a celebratory day. So they reserved that date. And I was staying in their house in Cape Cod the night before the wedding. And I was woken up by the sound of a cymbal that just was piercing. And my yeah. mother was in the bed next to me. She was completely out, undisturbed. I woke up and I see a coin rolling around like in a circle, just like, ooh, ooh, and then it goes flat. And for whatever reason, I was woken up by the sound and my hand was already on my heart. And I look up above my bed and there is this massive orb mm -hmm. that's blue and white, scintillating blue and white. Yeah. I knew it was my father. Yeah. And he yeah. just came in that orb of light and he just said, I love you. And it was a beautiful moment. Yeah. And then took off. And I think that... As you share this story, it made me think of that story and how these, how our souls, when we go on, if we came back and showed up embodied, I don't think our brains could capacitate that perhaps as an experience. So they show up in their light because we can digest that rather than their old container of a body yeah, that and, is really an illusion of who they were anyway. And there's also, um, I think, a scientific ex explanation, and I, I can't really give it completely, but the, the capacity for uh, plasma forms mm. here to represent different energies, different spiritual or even disembodied, uh, you know, they come as as orb figures, as uh, phantom plasma fields, like the white lady appeared to me in Rosalind Glen. You know, seeing these plasma forms, it's a, it's a way that they are able to take shape. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about around Magdalena. A lot. <laughs> and I guess I'll start with this Big question. Who do you believe Magdalena is, was, and do you believe, as you kind of pontificate, do you believe she was the Holy Grail? Okay. Great question. <laughs> the $64,000 question. I know. I know. Sorry, not sorry. No, no, no. Um, so... 
I believe that she was the beloved and the partner of Yeshua Jesus. I believe that she was the appointed one, the apostle of the apostles, the first apostle. You know, the church made it Peter, but actually she was appointed to carry his teachings in their pure loving form um, to many places. And I believe her, her missionary work spread way beyond Provence. Um, of course, the power center at San Maximum Sambon uh, became the place where her bones, her skull, you know, uh, that had the power and the focus in, in the Magdalene movement and in the church actually as well. Um, the focus was always on Provence. But her missionary, her mission went far beyond, and I believe into Iberia, Spain. And um, what really cinched it for me was finding ancient documents that mentioned her being in Aquitaine, which runs right against the Pyrenees and the Atlantic. Mm. So way, way further west than Provence. And some other documents that mention a Mary coming into Spain as well. Now, why is it, well, I said the $64,000 question, but why is it there are 64 churches of Mary Magdalene just within Catalonia, which is a little corner of northeastern Spain? Yes. 64 just there. And that's that's only one, the ones that were listed officially. There are probably many more. Why are there 94 Magdalena hermitages and churches in the northwestern segment of Spain on the Camino, the northern Camino? 94. You know, the, this is an unbelievable amount. I mean, people focus on this, you know, this one area, Rennes-le-Chateau and Sambom and, and, and Le Saint-Marie-de-la-Mer, there are so many other places that have the mariner tradition of Mary's coming ashore. It's yeah. not one place. So I believe that their mission was to spread these teachings from England and maybe Scotland and Ireland and Spain and all over, you know, the, they had a lot of ability to travel, the Mediterranean trade, and the availability of ships was huge for thousands of years before Christ. So they, they were traveling, they were trading, they were exchanging information and knowledge. Is she the grail? I believe the grail is knowledge. And I believe the grail is the heart and the, and the love. And we come to unraveling those stories and finding the truth. Mm -hmm. That's the Holy Grail. Yeah, I love that. Is the center of the cross, this grid in the Pyrenees, is that the heart or the epicenter of knowledge or a portal or the heart of Mary Magdalena? Or what you know, is I think it's symbolic, Diane, yeah. because... Um, the center point of that cross 
could be considered the omphalos, the egg, the creation point. And it happens to be a tiny, humble little chapel to Mary Magdalene. It's amazing. With extraordinary retable uh, painting of her death yes. and her spirit being liberated. Uh, it, it, it's just, you know, one of those places that, that blew my mind. But I think it's symbolic. It's not that people have to go there. Mm -hmm. It's like in the teachings that were left there. Mm -hmm. role, and that she is a primary teacher, not the only one, certainly, but even along the Camino de Santiago, her sanctuaries and the Templar sanctuaries dot the entire Camino. And I believe that the Templars were guardians of her truth mm -hmm. and means of love. You know, it, would, it had to go underground for safety yeah. because, you know, if you didn't believe the way Rome did, you got bumped off. Right. I, I didn't know about the opening of the mouth ritual and how you found those that in the the artifacts the art the even in the egyptians and then it's just you see these ties again of yeah. jesus yeah. all these things that tie together can you talk a little bit about that what that was when i first heard about the opening of the mouth ritual bells went off or my bones started rattling as i like to say you know something was saying listen up yeah. you know because there's something here. And that was probably 20-some years ago, 25 years ago. Opening of the mouth ritual, it just spoke to me. And then I did research and found out, you know, that it was a really important process in the liberation of the soul of the pharaohs, whether it was a king or queen pharaoh, their soul had to be liberated in this special ritual of opening the eyes, the mouth, the ears, in order to navigate, we're back to conscious navigation again. So in the Egyptian tradition, they had certain um, uh, mantras, holy names that they had to repeat. They had certain things that they had to know to navigate to the stars, which was their home in the other realm. Um, so when I discovered this painting that the original exists now in the museum in Vic, just south of the center of the cross. But when I discovered that it had this depiction of Mary Magdalene's deathbed and Jesus liberating her Kaaba, her spirit, which matched the ancient Egyptian traditions, I thought, wow, so where was this painting from? And I found out it was at this center point in the middle of the foothills of the Pyrenees on this farm. I mean, it's just a no place, you know, that no one would think about. But why was the key there? And, and Steiner said long ago that he, he believed that the, the grail was invisible. It was knowledge and it was hidden somewhere in the Pyrenees. Wow. Yeah. Uh. So there, you know, just so many different pieces. And I think it's really all about just uncovering the mystery of who we are and our potentiality, you know, yeah. the magic and bring back 
kind of expanded awareness of what kind of uh, realm we dance in here. You know, it's much more unlimited. Yeah, your book to me is a real support in the direction of the ascension of humanity, the possibilities for us to step into our multidimensionality so Mm. that we can start living, as you say, connected in harmony, in resonance, just like you mentioned with even these stones that are living resonance. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like the cut marks, the cut marks that pave this way are are emanating waves of energy that actually communicate, I believe, with the region or create this resonant field. Can you talk a bit about the radiant zone, what these dolmens (laughs) do? And I love love so much there. They're so expansive that, that the listeners will have no idea what we're talking about. Exactly. So just say that um, I write a lot about the megalithic structures across the Pyrenees and how they dot from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. And they're mostly concentrated at the eastern and western ends. But these structures are quite often, as well as standing stones, which we call menhirs. There are a lot of dolmens, and they're like a stone house with a roof. And they were uh, tombs, but they were also ritual spaces. Um, And they're like time calculators, clocks, measuring the cycles, marking the solstices, equinoxes, and star alignments. So the cup marks are inscribed, they're like, carved out cups literally in the stone that are human made and these are constructed between around 2500 and 35 or even 4000 bc so we're looking at 6000 years ago and they often created these cup marks to signify alignments mm-hmm. or- one that I was documenting at the end of the Camino at the Mediterranean uh, site called Creu de en Cobertea, which means in Catalan, the covered cross, which again, we find the cross hints all in its place names, etc. Anyway, the cut marks uh, were aligned with a sun dagger that appears in uh, at winter solstice sunset. Cut marks can also mark um, maps in the landscape, where to find certain things. It can be alignments in the heavens, light effects for the seasons, uh, what uh, different uh, energetics in the landscape. They can be maps to find water, minerals, etc. So many things. But they do tend to emanate an energy, and especially the whole structure, if it's alive. and. Yeah consciously worked with, um, it will emanate a huge force field, which produces, if you have a, a, which we have in Catalonia, 500 megalithic structures just in this northeast corner of Catalonia. So you figure if they're radiating a, a, a field of energy, you have a radiant zone that people, when they walk into it, you know, people go to Barcelona, why do I feel such energy here? You know, yeah. Rounded by megalithic sites. Ah, yeah, you're saying how in Catalonia, these 
temples, megalithic sites, cities, um, they're all aligned to the four cardinal paths and also have these ancient dolmens. I find it fascinating that they were built on the Paris meridian nearly 6,000 years before the meridian was even measured. Right. What? Right. what? On. Good night. See you next time. I mean, it's just like, what the? I know. I know. The perfection of the patterns and how. The perfection of the patterns. How people, time after time, millennia after millennia, follow the same grids. There is a pattern that was laid down long, long ago. And, you know, there is a, on the meridian, there are places that are called meridian before the meridian was measured. For instance, it the mountain on the meridian where, where I live is called Cardu, which is based on Cardo, the Latin word that means north-south meridian. It's called a Cardo. And there's a site at the southern end, and that's at the northern end of the, of the cross that I discovered, on the Paris meridian. So the Paris meridian acts as an axis or a spinal column or a dragon spine for the whole grid. At the southern end of that cross is a place called Cardedeu, Carda Meridian Deu of God, Meridian yeah. of God. It's a stone marker with an equal arm cross. Equal arm crosses are carved in the megaliths nearby. Equal arm crosses are carved in the megaliths here at the northern end. It's kind of off the charts. So it, each end of the arm of this equal arm cross that I discovered that is over the Pyrenees, there are carved crosses, equal armed crosses in the stones marking them. Mm. How did the people know if this was placed, you know, prehistoric times, you know, how did, you know, people have always known the sacredness of the equal armed cross because it re can represent sacred time and sacred space and, you know, directions, etc. You know, knowing our place mm -hmm. above and below and, and to the four directions. So it was always sacred anyway, but to have them carved at the end of each arm of the cross was just astounding. Um, I mean, just gobsmackingly. Beyond <laughs> words, as you talk about the spine of the cross, my brain goes again to the Vedic yogic teachings of the Brahmadanda. When we meditate, we meditate through the spine. The spine mm -hmm. to me is like a its own time capsule. When yeah. in higher states of consciousness, it will literally, I think of an experience I had where I was brought back to the scene at Golgotha through my spine with Christ. And mm -hmm. I, since that experience said, oh, all those years of yoga, the spine, the Brahmadanda translated means the walking stick of God. Brahma is God, Danda means stick. So when you talk about the spine and the of the cross and the Pyrenees, this is yet another, language being laid out for us of how there are these epicenters where you can awaken to your God consciousness through 
Yeah. And, and you've brought up something really important. And I think if we get too outward focused to the phenomenal, yeah. amazing magic out there, and we forget about the internal, then it doesn't work. It doesn't come alive. But applying the outer to the inner or making the incorporeal corporal yes. as it started out. Um, and I make that pretty clear in the beginning of the book that if we if we see the earth and its meridians and its naughty currents as within us. Yes. Relate everything to our internal serpent path in our brain. I mean, in our spine that connects the root with the brain centers. Then that's the whole awakening uh, key. You know, yes. all in the ancient Vedas and in the in the Chinese system in the in the Egyptian. It's the Jed pillar. It's you know we can find it in every single tradition. As above, so below, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. If the Pyrenees could speak, <laughs> what would it say as a message <sighs> to those listening? Become the guardians. Become the guardians of wherever you are. <sighs> the... The, there is such a concentration in the Pyrenees of ancient guardianship, of acknowledging the importance of regulating the natural cycles and becoming one with those cycles. Every St. John's Eve, midsummer, summer solstice, they light the sacred fires on the mountain. Mm. They take portions of that flame used to be in torches, now it's in little lanterns. They bring those sparks of flame down to the valleys on either side of the Pyrenees and light their sacred fires in the villages. And guess who lights the fire? The children. Wow. The children are the future. And they acknowledge the fire that unites the people on both sides that is beyond all differences. And those traditions, I think, the Pyrenees carries those, and I think they should be known by the rest of the world because that's what the fire ceremonies used to be, you know, unifying spirit and matter and mm. people mm. going beyond our differences and coming into a unified field and working together. Mm. So becoming the guardians, the earth keepers. I have about a million other questions and I have about 50 other pages strewed about my <laughs> table, but I won't keep you <laughs> for the rest of your weekend on a podcast zoom. But I just want to encourage people listening to pick up your book, guardians of the dragon path, ancient temples of the Pyrenees, the way of the stars, Camino, a Magdalena Meridian. It's, so astounding. Uh, I, I mean, you can't read it once because it's so rich in education and depth and magic and spirituality and truths and yeah. uncoverings. And um, I'm just so grateful for you 
stepping into this role in this lifetime for humanity because it to me is really significant for those that are called to it light workers illuminated ones which is really everyone once we get out of our own way exactly exactly and i'd like to add one thing diane if i can that my vision for this was to have a multimedia kind of presentation that some people don't relate to words as much as say sound. Right. And so to go with the book, I created various things like um, documentaries, video documentaries that include the songs that were birthed at the various sacred sites which are gorgeous, by the way. The Stones would give a song, or the uh, Our Lady of Montserrat would would dictate a song, or, you know, and, and and all the stories that are in there, a lot of them have songs. So I created a, a, a double album of twenty different songs that are a collection of these songs that occurred, and there are uh, fifteen YouTube's. Mm. On, on, you know, on my YouTube channel, but they all also come as a package with the album. So there's a lyric book that tells the stories of the different songs, how they occurred, how, you know, how the dragon song appeared, you know, the meeting the dragon in the Pyrenees. How can I help you? You know, I mean, I was sort of bowled over to be presented with this presence in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, that was all loving, I should add. Yeah. Well, it was it was a very strong presence, and it came crashing into my room at three a.m. And you know, I said, "Oh, who are you? And how can I help you?" <laughs> he said, "Stop with the mantras. Write a song from your heart." Because I was doing mantras all night long, trying to clear the energy in his valley because it felt dis disrupted, and he he got tired of the mantras because I went on for hours. Create a song from your heart. So I did. So anyway, that's one little example of what occurred in, in all these different experiences and the songs that I call it a Camino de Canciones or a path of songs, you know, traveling through the sites that became a path of songs as well as information. Mm. Well, the songs have a level and energy of transmission, undoubtedly, when you listen to them. There, mm. You can feel the heart energy. And uh, I was I was really surprised when I first listened. I went right to the Magdalena song and I was like, whoa, I'm, I feel like I'm being transported anciently mm. into this energy field. Truly, it was it's really, really astounding work you've put together, Ani. Well, thank you. Thank you for this and for whatever is to come, which is going to be a continuation of magic and greatness and servantry for humanity. So well, I'll have all your information in the show notes. And um, I'm uh, so grateful for to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to you for being who you are and asking me again. I love our conversations so thank you hey guys thanks for checking out the spiritual geek out podcast if you like what you're hearing here check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform 
or go to spiritualgeekout.com.